0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at tiaa.org/promises off. LinkedIn News. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday. Today, let's talk about friendship. To start, I want to tell you about my friend, Jennifer Reingold. Jen. I met Jen when we both worked at Fortune. She's a few years older than me. For seven years, our offices shared a wall. She really helped me. I was so new at reporting when I showed up. She shared her contacts with me. And she had this thing where she'd get right up in my face and be like, why are you even doing that? She wasn't afraid to do that to anyone. It's what made her such a good reporter. But what I remember is actually how many times she dropped in that chair across from me at my desk while I cried after breakups or after my stepfather died or how we started going to the gym together at lunch or we'd stop off for a drink with colleagues after a long day. Jen could literally convince anyone to stay for just one more until it was suddenly 10 o'clock and you knew that you would regret it the next day. Jen's a work friend, but of course she's so much more than that. She's a friend-friend. Why do we do that? Why do we add the qualifier work? It's as if these friendships are somehow less important than, I don't know, home friends, school friends, church friends. As a kid, I made new friends all the time, but now it's just so much harder. I have 2,300 friends on Facebook, no joke, but sometimes I'm just not sure who to call if I'm feeling lonely or down. It's like I've fallen out of touch relationships take time, and I spend most of mine managing family stuff. The rest of it is spent at work. Which is why I think work friendships aren't extra, they're everything. But here's the thing, we're not talking about them much in 2023. We're coming off years of social isolation, thanks to the pandemic. A lot of us have some sort of hybrid arrangement, and our time with our colleagues happens over screens. And then there are these waves of layoffs that are just restructuring everything right now and leaving a lot of us feeling
1: like the people around us could just disappear so that's why i reached out to today's guest because of the impact that these relationships with our colleagues have to shape our life to influence our satisfaction and our happiness and our overall sense of well-being i think it's a little bit risky to ignore the power that the relationships we have with colleagues have around feeling well-being, connection, and a sense of community even.
0: That's Kat Velos. In early 2020, right before the pandemic, Kat published a book called We Should Get Together, The Secret to Cultivating Better Friendships. Kat also hosts online friend matchmaking events called Here to Make Friends. Today, we're gonna talk about how friendships work in adulthood. We'll get into what we owe our friends and how reciprocity should work. She'll offer some approaches to cultivating new friends, especially when there's a screen between us. And we'll also discuss how social media can complicate everything. Here's Kat. Are
1: my colleagues supposed to be my friends? The traits of a healthy friendship look very much like the traits of a healthy colleagueship. So in both situations, hopefully you have mutual enthusiasm for each other. You have trust, hopefully, with each other. There's a sense of camaraderie with each other, investing in each other's success and growth, having honest conversations. Like all of these things are hopefully present in both Your workplace relationships and your friendships. And certainly the types of conversations you might have will vary. Typically, they'll be a lot more personal or more intimate with friends. But some of the um, adults that have talked to me about their friendships say that they're workplace is the source of their closest friends in life. And often when they even leave the company or their friend leaves the company, they keep that friendship going because it has become such an integral part of their life and they become so close. And I myself have made some of my best friends at work over the years and held on to them for many, many more years than the time we spent at that company.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too. That's a wonderful thing. The jobs have left, but the people and their relationships have, have persisted. You know, one thing I'm really interested in is, you know, increasingly we're working in a hybrid way. We may have a screen that mediates the the space between us, but is there a sort of how to for how we turn relationships, particularly if we've come to each other for the first time in a hybrid environment um, into friendships?
1: Uh This is a big one, especially because in the last couple of years in the pandemic, so many millions of people were hired remotely they haven't had a chance to be face-to-face with other people that they are that are at their company. And so forming those relationships has been harder to establish uh, asynchronously or just over team chat or Slack or whatever you're using or email. Um, and so making that leap from someone you know to someone that feels like a friend or a colleague to someone who then feels like a close friend can be tough. And it really does take intention. I recently published a guide on my blog called "Like How to Turn an uh, Online Acquaintance into a Real Friend. And- a lot of the advice I have in that guide applies whether the friend that you're hoping to make is somebody that you work with or not. And so I include things in it like checking first for mutual enthusiasm. Like, are you both like mutually excited to talk to each other? Do you both seem really interested to get to know each other better? Um, Also make your intentions known. It's okay to tell someone like, I really like talking to you, Jesse, and I would love to be friends with you. Um, Are you open to that? You know, and one thing that's useful about making your intentions known is the other person doesn't have to guess what you're up to. (laughs) And if they're not available or not interested in that, they can set their boundary. And then, you know, maybe to turn your attention to somebody else. When you proceed to then try to deepen this relationship into like a closer friendship. I encourage people to connect in a variety of ways, to be really warm and generous in how you connect, especially early on, to be supportive to each other, and to be consistent and recurring in the ways that you're having these touch points, whether they're conversations or hangouts. All of those things will help really fortify and scaffold the foundation of a really strong connection at the early part of your friendship or colleagueship.
0: Right. What do we owe our friends? And is it different in different
1: friendships? Mm. Great question. What we owe, I think, depends on the type of friendship that it is and what the situation is between you. So what we owe, for example, our closest, bestest, longest term heart buddy friendship is different than what we owe an acquaintance that we recently met at a dinner party last weekend, right? And these reciprocity mismatches are one of the biggest frustrations that people tell me come up in their relationship. The common causes that I find for lack of reciprocity are either um, something being off in the communication or something being off in the compatibility. So it needs to feel fair, but fair doesn't always mean it's a one-to-one, right? So we talked earlier about availability, willingness, enthusiasm, et cetera. But the rubric for reciprocity, it looks different. So to give an example, I don't have any kids. I'm child-free. That's my choice. I love it. But I have a lot of friends who have small kids at home or who have multiple kids or whose work looks very different than mine, which is mine's very flexible. Theirs might not be. And so the concept of reciprocity, there's a different expectation. There's a different kind of way that we show up. And there's space and forgiveness and allowance and flexibility that comes up when we take into consideration each other's context. That said, We need to also talk about what we hope to get in a relationship. And if you don't ask for what you want, sometimes you're unlikely to get it. And so there's nothing wrong with speaking up and telling. Share like the wish list of what friendship looks like for you and ask your friend what the wish list for friendship would look like for them. And often you will hear things that you couldn't have guessed, just like when you get someone's real like wish list at gift time. And also you get to share things that you would really love to experience in your friendship that they might never have guessed either sure yeah
0: um that makes a lot of sense and but as you're talking i'm thinking about all the verbalization that goes into this approach to friendship
1: if you don't want to verbalize it you can also do it with action and then ask them how was that for you like what did you think about that or invite them to do something that's different and engage their response? Are they like, uh, no, or are they like, oh, my God, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, well, I think one thing that comes up for folks in adulthood, particularly if you've moved to a new place, mm-hmm. or if because of the pandemic, you live in New York and everybody else you know moved away, it can be hard to figure out what the on-ramp is to new friends. And I wonder if you might have some guidance on that.
1: Yes, actually, my entire TEDx talk is about this, and it's about the power of a simple invitation. And I I put simple, you know, we can think of it kind of in quotes. It's simple in that it can be short, it can be just two sentences, but it's not simple because it requires courage and risk-taking and the willingness to put yourself out there and sometimes be disappointed. It doesn't always work. But when we craft a very inviting and warm invitation to connection— That is the thing that takes it from, oh, I like these people at Capora to like, oh my God, now they're a part of my life and we're integrated to each other's lives in a more meaningful way. And having the courage to craft an invitation and extend it, being willing to hear any answer, whether it's yes, maybe no, not right now, in two months, whatever. Uh, that is the thing that takes you from feeling like, well, I can't get out of the box that I'm in right now, but I want this bigger experience. And the only way to, to get it is to invite people to create it with me. Yeah. And the other thing I'll tell you is someone who's organized hundreds of workshops and gatherings and events and parties and different things sometimes it's also a numbers game. Like when you have a meetup and you invite people and 30 people RSVP, be prepared for 50% of them to show up on a good day because people change their mind, their schedules change, life is unpredictable. Things will happen that prevent 100% yeses all the time and you just need to be prepared for that. It's not about you.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, there's also a way that um, like the moment that we live in Uh uh, means that for many people, particularly anybody my age and younger, um, we've kind of fossilized our friendships as we've moved through the world. Anybody we've ever picked up uh, is added to our Facebook friends portfolio or (laughs) LinkedIn connection, whatever it is, and continues. Yes. And when my parents day and age, they'd be friends with someone and then we'd move away and that person would fade away and maybe 20 years later they'd run into each other or have a phone call and it would be so nice to reconnect. I'm kind of overwhelmed by this model of fossilization and I wonder if you might have any guidance for how we make sense of all those people that were friends and so I guess they're not not friends. Yeah,
1: I I think of these friendships as kind of being in like the deep freeze, like You were friends maybe in college and your friendship went into the deep freezer and then they pop back up and you can thaw it out in the microwave and then it's like, hey, soup. (laughs) And so it's not that you're not friends, but we also have to acknowledge our capacity. And there's research that shows that the greater the number of relationships you're trying to maintain at one time, Just due to the constraints of life and time and space and physics, like each person will get less of you. And so it really isn't possible to stay super tight close friends with every single person you've ever met or felt close to. That's just a fact of life. Of course, with social media, there's this way that people don't really fade away. And so there's this Question mark around what are these relationships and whether we call them friends. And the word friend is asked to do a lot of work in our society because we use it for everything from someone you knew in third grade to the person you'd give a kidney to. And so (laughs) it's tough. Let that go about like what is the label for this relationship and then instead say, what is your capacity for the number of friendships that you feel you can maintain in your life, in your context? And then who are the people that you really want to bring into that circle so that you can give them the best of your attention?
0: We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about social media. So stick around. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing. New currencies come and go. Decades of savings lost in days. All showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan...
1: we had such deep empathy, we had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Beret's story and the lessons that follow,
0: listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back. Before we get started, I wanted to tell you about Feedback Fridays over here in the studio. I've started talking to listeners every Friday. I want to learn more about your careers and why you listen and what's important to you. If you're up for talking with me, email me at hellomonday at linkedin.com. It'll help us make the show better. Now, just before the break, Kat was pointing out that we can only have so many friends. Have you heard the term Dunbar's number? Robin Dunbar is an anthropologist who found that we're capable of maintaining around 150 relationships, period. Family, coworkers, neighbors, they all get a spot on that list. But as Kat tells us, people come and go and that's okay
1: we lose on average one to two friendships a year. Doesn't mean there was a big breakup, doesn't mean there was a blowout or anything like that. It simply happens through attrition. Maybe they moved to Australia, maybe they had a newborn and like didn't have time to connect with you anymore, whatever it is, people kind of fade in and out. And also when people get into serious relationships, we typically have one or two close friends kind of migrate to the next ring of like casual friends and then they're not so so close anymore cuz you make all this time for the person you're in a relationship with. And so knowing that there's this general number of like all the people that you know is around 150. Um think about it not as like one big giant circle where all 150 are equal in terms of their closeness. There's like five super close, there's like 15 casual, it it really is rings that add up to about 150.
0: Dunbar's number makes sense if you consider that throughout most of history, when we were hunter-gatherer tribes of people wandering nomadically across the earth, we didn't really even ever see more than 150 people in an entire lifetime. In the early days of social media, I remember talking with founders of companies like Path and Facebook about whether we could somehow gain that number. It turns out we can't.
1: We have every kind of social media. We have every kind of way of staying in touch with other people or connected to them, uh, even if it's extremely tenuous <laughs> and like all you are, are nodding acquaintances after a while. When I first joined Facebook ages and ages ago, I tried to be like very particular with myself, of like only having a hundred friends, and if I added somebody, it meant that I needed to remove somebody because it's like I can only give attention to how how many people, right? And I would also do this thing where when I met somebody new, like say at a potluck or a dinner party, and at the end it's like, oh my god, I love talking to you. Do you want to be friends? We should keep in touch. Yeah, and they'd be like, what's your Facebook? And I would be like no. I was like, I really want to be friends with you. So I'm actually not going to add you on social. I'm going to give you my phone number. And if you want to hang out, text me or call me. Because what would happen is as soon as I became friends on social media with somebody, we would default to interacting with each other's posts online instead of meeting up face to face. OMG
0: here, that is me. Like that awesome woman I met on vacation last year, started following her on Instagram, a year later, I'm still liking photos of her toddler's birthday party, but I've never even called her or, or emailed.
1: And what I wanted was to say, if you want to find me, it's going to be in the real world. Let's make that happen, not just slide into this very passive way of uh, having parasocial relationships with each other through the Internet.
0: Okay, that sounds so wise. And also, you put it in the past tense. So how did it work for you? What did you learn?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It worked great. I did it for a number of years and eventually I reached a point, I think after another move to another city, I was like, well, it's just going to be more efficient <laughs> to be able to like be online with each other or to be able to like invite people to an event, especially in my work now. I I, I need to be able to broadcast stuff about my work, particularly around friendship. And that's just going to need to be to more than a hundred people at a time. <laughs> so Yes, that's part of the reason why it's past tense. So is that how social works for you, Kat? Mostly. Yeah, mostly. Yeah, particularly like my Instagram is about my work. Um, LinkedIn is about work, right? Twitter was kind of my water cooler for like not just work, but like other random things. Like, does anybody have a cabbage recipe? It was the casual space and the kind of work talk, too. I had a lot of awesome colleagues I loved connecting with professionally on Twitter, but it was also just, like, a, a playground to just, like, s- share jokes and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I mostly go on social media, uh, personally, for, like, to laugh.
0: So to bring us back to sort of how how the mechanics of friendship work, um, I've been thinking a lot about the role that my gender plays in the friendships that I have. I identify as female I suspect but do not know that that plays a part in um, how I show up in my friendships and sometimes when friendships feel uneven in whether Uh, people want or feel they deserve more from me. And so it just leads me to to ask the question, how do race, class, and gender fit into our friendships with each other? Can our friendships across divides in, in any of those categories ever be truly honest?
1: Well, I think in order for them to be honest, we have to acknowledge the ways in which who we are and what we are affects our experience in life and can affect the power dynamics in a relationship too. You mentioned that you're female and you're obviously socialized as a woman because of this. And so some of the ways that we are taught to like, always be giving, put other people first, make everybody happy, be the nice girl. Like all of these things can play into the ways that we show up in friendships if we uh, aren't aware of that training and socialization. And so when we have friendships then that are different, like one of my best friends is a a guy. I am a Black woman. He is a white man. We happen to have become roommates (laughs) in our early 20s and we've been friends for 18 years. And so there have been many times where we've had many very honest, difficult conversations about the fact that there is a power dynamic difference in our relationship. There have been gaps sometimes in his understanding of what my life is like and me trying to like share what that is like to like gain some uh, sense of like empathy, understanding. But it's also a really safe place. Like there's there's a podcast out there called like No Stupid Questions. And our friendship is a place for no stupid questions. Like, I've told him, like, you can literally ask me anything and I will share with you. And I ask him things too. And so when you have deep, deep trust and real commitment, it's okay to screw up. It's okay to ask dumb questions. It's okay to acknowledge the things that are different about you without making it seem like any person is better than the other person. And so I think if we just be honest about that, then we can have those conversations. And if somebody messes up, we can trust that it was really a mistake and not hurtful and then forgive each other and move on.
0: I love thinking about the idea of our closest friendships as no dumb question, safe spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and and particular against the backdrop of a world that um, increasingly thinks that everyone's questions are always dumb, which causes us to be... more and more scared in public places to have these conversations. How can we nurture these conversations and create safe spaces for these conversations Mm -hmm. in our friendships? You mentioned time as one of the factors that really supported you guys.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: It sounds like it wasn't a chosen context, uh, just like the original context of being roommates. Maybe Uh it was chosen. I don't know.
1: Yeah. So to answer the question in your question, uh, I had a mutual roommate and we needed to fill a third room. And that other roommate was like, I think you'd really like my coworker because he's looking for a place. Do you want to meet him and see if he should move in? And so it was funny, like we always joke that like he was so right. My friend moved in, that roommate moved out two months later. He's lost to the wind, but we ended up staying best friends for 20 years. So um, so there's that. There was an element of choice and also trust. And then the element of time is huge. So in the book, I include research from Dr. Jeffrey Hall, who has found that to go from a stranger to a like casual friend takes about 30 hours, 30-ish hours, but to become a best friend takes 90 to 200 hours. And it needs to happen within the first like eight-ish weeks of knowing each other. And most adults will be hard-pressed to find 200 hours to spend with a friend in two months, um, unless you live together like we did. Or you work together and you are together side by side all day long, every single day, just like you were with your classmates in middle school or high school or college or whatever. And so the impact of this frequency on our ability to form a close connection is massive. So if you really like somebody and you have the option to spend a boatload of time with them early on in your friendship, by all means do it because it can give you the foundation for something that can last much longer, even if your frequency drops after that point.
0: There's one relationship that I don't want to overlook. That's the one that we cultivate with ourselves. That friendship strengthens all others.
1: We are our first best friend. Yes. Um, and as as I mentioned earlier, uh, in the our World in Data Time Use survey, one of the things that we see is that the time spent alone throughout life, it rises all the way up until the end of life. So with every passing year, we're likely to spend more and more time on our own. And that's what it is and you can work to change that if you actually want to spend more time in relationship and in community but if we know that that is a likely story then think about what do you want if you are your own best friend or you can create your own ideal friendship with yourself So one exercise that I think is really good for this, if somebody wants to try it out, is to get a sheet of paper and write down everything that you wish you got in an ideal friendship and then carve out time for yourself once or twice a month to experience that on your own. So if one of the things in your ideal friendship would be going to the museum and seeing like a really mind opening exhibit, you can still do that by yourself. If you love, like, fresh homemade Italian, like, pasta from scratch, then take yourself to a beautiful dinner and get that portobello tortellini and have your glass of wine and enjoy it at the nice restaurant by yourself. Or if you are needing more play in your life and you didn't get to have the fancy Lego set when you were a kid, buy it for yourself and set aside a Saturday afternoon to build that Lego by yourself. Whatever it is, like carve out time every single month for yourself to take yourself on a friend date for yourself. And also it's a good practice to do with a friend, but make sure you do that for yourself so that you are building this relationship of trust and love with yourself so that the more time you spend on your own, the more you enjoy it and feel at home in yourself.
0: That was Kat Velos. Learn more about her work on friendships at we Do you have a work bestie? A work husband? A work wife? If this conversation resonates with you, make a point to send this episode to them, please. And tell them, hey, you're important to me. We're going to talk about work friends at office hours this week. So here's my question for everyone. How are you being intentional about nurturing those relationships? We'll go live from the LinkedIn news page Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern. If you'd like a direct link, email us at hellomonday at linkedin.com. We'll also pick up the conversation in our Hello Monday group on LinkedIn. You can find your invitation in the show notes. Join us there. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn News. Sarah Storm produces our show. It's engineered by Asaf Gidron, Rafa Faria, Wallace Truesdale, Kanya Rogers, Michaela Greer, and Victoria Taylor are strong friend material. Joe Georgie mixes our show. Courtney Coop is head of original programming. Dave Pond is head of news production. Our theme music was composed just for us by the mysterious breakmaster Cylinder. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And this week we say a special good luck and sadly goodbye to our good friend Victoria Taylor. Victoria, you have been with us for so many of these episodes. You are such a great friend to the show and to each of us. I have to say, I still remember that time in the midst of the pandemic when it was my birthday and you sent me special treats straight to my door, delicious treats. I feel like I can still taste them. That's the kind of friend you are and the kind of friend you will always be. I hope you'll still be listening because we'll always be thinking of you. All right, I'm Jesse Hempel. We'll be back next Monday. Thanks for listening.
1: Hey, Jen. Yeah. Um, so
0: I just recorded a podcast and we just made the episode and it's running next week and it is on work friendship. And I ended up... Opening the podcast by talking about how important it was to me to sit next to you while I was at Fortune. Oh. So I just, actually, I don't even have a question for you. I just wanted to call you and tell you that because it's been too long since we've talked. And um, I spent an entire half an hour telling everybody how important work friendships are and how they're not work friendships, they're friendship friendships. And then I thought, I haven't talked to you for a bit. And you're important to me. So that's it. You are so important to me. And you completely made my day
1: just now. I just, I have been actually doing a lot of work thinking about people that matter to me in my life. And I feel exactly the same way about you. And you and I spent some really, really critical moments together, both professionally and personally, that I will never forget. So I'm kind of flattered and embarrassed that you said that on a podcast, but I, I really <laughs> believe that, Jesse, and I I you really made me happy. So
0: awesome.